Mixtapes with Mike is now working in partnership with Black Circle Records, an independent record store based in Latent Buzzard. No money is changing hands, but we are going to work on some promotions together, so it would help us both out if you would take a second and follow Black Circle Records on Instagram or click on the link in the show notes to visit their website. The voice you're doing is still <laughs> still yours, and it's not like you're answering the phone going, Hello! That would be... <laughs> That would be bad. Like, Michael's really got to stop answering the phone as a unacceptable Chinese person. You're like... Welcome to Mixtapes with Mike, the podcast where I invite a guest to make us a mixtape of 10 tracks without using the same artist twice. We're going to talk about each song, and if you like the sound of what you hear, you can listen to the mixtape in full on Apple Music or Spotify by clicking the link in the show notes. So if you're the kind of person who'd like a new mixtape every Monday, you should like and subscribe to the podcast, and if possible, take a moment to leave a positive review on whatever platform you're listening on. Now, this week's guest is an award-winning comedian who's spent the last year focusing on creating online content because the pandemic has robbed him of his livelihood. He's one of the favourites of the UK circuit and he's someone that I've been following since 2008, long before I ever told a joke on stage myself. This week's guest is comedian, podcaster and ukulele player, Dan Nightingale. (laughs) I'm so used to uh, my podcast partner using the ukulele player as like a, as a weapon to batter me with because he hates musical comedy. Not all of it but just most of it and sees it as really sort of cynical and lazy. And here I am like, well, I've got a ukulele and I have a little twang of it. And I've tried it a couple of times on stage. Places that I thought were safe places, but I forgot that there was other comedians on who have told other comedians. So I couldn't do it sneakily. Twice. I tried it twice. (laughs) Did my little comedy song twice. And Rob Mulholland was there, and it's it was dangerous. I should have seen the pitfalls of doing it in front of an animal like comedian Rob Mulholland. But I am a comedian, or I was a comedian, until the Panny D ripped the backside out of my industry, and I am a podcaster. So, yeah, that's I think I'm podcaster. You, I, I've been telling people that I'm a YouTuber, and it really winds Laura up, because it sounds like I'm a, a 19-year-old girl doing makeup tutorials. But um, I think I might be a YouTuber now, so who knows? Well, yeah, well, you, you're diversifying, and we'll, we, we will get on to that. Um, I mean, I feel, at this point, I almost feel like I've been through rehab and, like, comedy has been purged from my, my system, and I just need to get one taste of attention in a public space, and I'll be right back yeah, on Yeah, I think you're right. I just I got my first taste of it Tuesday, just gone. I did Theatre Cluet in Mould, North Wales, which is really handy because I live at the very end of like the my end of my village is the Welsh border so it's a 15 minute drive to this lovely sort of council owned so they're like absolutely covid safe that's just they're all the stuff are like yeah just haven't done anything for a year and it'll still be there when when the panny d passes gotta stop calling it a panny d can't help myself um we did one of those the cameras are set up there's no one in the room apart from two techs, the guy that runs the theatre, and a handful of comics. And to all intents and purposes, pre-March 2020, that would have been the most disgusting-looking gig imaginable to any real comedian. And yep. a year of this 
just like industry-based heartache. So I know there's bigger things going on. I know people yeah. have lost their lives and livelihoods, but just comedy-wise, it's just been so painful having to lose your gigs, then creep back via Zoom and also driving gigs, which were painful. Honk your horn if you think it's funny. Fucking don't. And then here we are, February, excuse me, the very start of March 2021. Mm -hmm. And I was ecstatic to be on a stage playing to three techies, a pr promoter and three comedians. It felt great. I hadn't done my set in ages and it was just, it was coming back beautifully. I remembered bits. I remembered why I thought something was funny. And it, yeah, just a year ago, it would have been painful. And a year later, oh my God, it was a joy. So I've had that first taste. And now I'm looking forward to Bojo's roadmap out of lockdowns because I do, I want to gig again. Not loads, don't want to do the shit ones, but definitely, like you say, want to get that, want to get it going again because it's fun. Yeah, I I do miss it. And I, that's the whole reason I relaunched this is because I needed something creative to do because I was losing my mind. Yeah, um, and it's it's tricky isn't it because if you're a dad or if you've got responsibilities and everything you've got to balance it off of like you know you need to earn and everything but you're also you got into comedy for a reason like you like entertaining you like messing around you like having a laugh and you need to just find a little lane to do it in and and people have tried all sorts of them like tiktok and everything and podcasting vlogging i've seen comics doing cooking shows and just whatever you want to do like this is great this podcast i i if you if you're enjoying it people are going to enjoy it that's how i see it okay so we we've talked a little bit online and we have met in passing seven or eight times we've shook hands seven or eight times May, oh do you remember this is the, the days first time when you had human contact my god um yeah the frog and bucket i mean we gigged we gigged several times at the frog and bucket didn't we yes so so and then i i would bother you online for feedback and maybe I remember I remember I, I wanted because I missed your your Edinburgh show the one about buying the bungalow in St Anne's sex drugs in my nana's bungalow that's the one um, that title got me more more bums on seats than any title I've ever thought of just for, I just thought it was I almost when I came up with it I was just short of ideas and I thought the contrast of a story about how I moved my family to my nana's bungalow after she'd uh, moved into an old people's home would be you know, interesting. And I was like, what am I going to call this? And I thought that that sort of like juxtaposition between sex drugs and my nana's bungalow. It, I, I got such a good reaction. Just even flyering on the street. Like Americans thought it was hilarious that a, at the time, 38-year-old bald guy in a silly hat would be trying to sell his wares with a title like Sex Drugs and My Nana's Bungalow. Um, I did love that show. That was a fun one. Yeah, I was well. I was gutted that I missed it, but you very generously sent me the audio file, um, so I got to listen to it. Because yeah, you uh, slide in my DMs all the time, and that's as a married man just about to turn forty, with a child on the way and one just turned four. It's ex as exciting as my DMs get. Like it's it's brutal. Like when people are like, oh my god, he slid into my DMs and sent a dick pic. I've just got you going, mate, I thought that podcast was really good. And have you thought about this? It's as exciting as my DMs get. No dick pics, just you asking for downloads. And to be honest, I'll take it. I'll take the attention. 
But uh, next I'm time, so next time you want some in, just throw a dick pic in there as well, mate. You know, <laughs> give me that thrill. Oh, is, is is that what the currency is? Now? Yeah, crypt, uh. crypto crypto dick pics. <laughs> Can you imagine if that was a thing? <laughs> My money is growing. Is um, it an NFG? I've just heard that the that the Kings of Leon are selling are selling an album as a fifty dollar NFG, which I'm led to believe through some very sketchy research online has been something that has been traded almost like pieces of art but it's it's like videos and online content that is then sort of it, it, you can't just put it on youtube and watch it you can like you own that item almost like a sort of um like an audio visual collector's card like panini but for like tech geeks um that would be phenomenal if dick pics were traded as <laughs> I don't know if it's NGF or NG. Anyway, that would be phenomenal. If the new, if the new Bitcoin was dick pics. So, so like, if Adam is to be believed, he would be a rich man, mate. That I, I've gone along on the Have a Word podcast with some nonsense, and and we do often we just play devil's advocate with a bit of like chat or whatever. Whenever there's funnies, it's amazing when you've done two hundred and fifty hours or so of podcasting with someone how you so naturally like tennis doubles partners learn when to go back and go to go forward or when to play possum and when to be like essentially attacked and for some reason i chose to like basically play the the role of the guy with the small dick and he happily has uh projected this idea that he has got a colossal wang that was so big during childhood, it had to be medically reduced. And I think he's this <laughs> me- he's so mental that I think he's actually started to believe his own bullshit. And I actually think some of our listeners are fucking daft enough to be like, lad, he has got a massive knob. He's a fucking tripod. Yeah, no, I haven't got, a, I haven't got a, an inbox big enough for that <laughs> weapon of mass destruction. Interestingly, go back to your Edinburgh show. The first time we ever met was in Edinburgh when you flyered me and my missus in 2009. Really? Yeah, 2009 or 2010. Or 2008 or 2012. (laughs) I did, I I did, these are my Edinburgh shows, 2008, 2012, 13, 14 and 18. Must have been 2008 then. Right, yeah. and and I, and I wasn't doing comedy at that point. I was just like a, an avid fan and consumer. Were, were you there at the start of the fringe? Because I imagine I only <laughs> when I was younger, I flyered for like maybe the first day and a half of the fringe, and then was like, I'm too tired. I'm under strain. <laughs> I couldn't possibly get some disinterested fucking student from Inverness to do it for me. So yeah, um, it might have been early in the run, 2008. It's quite possible. Um, My reviews that year were basically like, it's fine. Yeah, it's fine. <laughs> like, almost across the board, I was met with strong twos, middling threes of like, I mean, yeah, it's watchable. Fine. All right. Not very interesting. Fine. You're like, okay, fair enough. I'll come back and be more interesting. Well, you made an impression on us because oh, we made great. a point of of keep like keeping tabs on you ever ever since. So like whenever you popped up at like like the Glee Club in Brom, we would always try and go and stuff like that. Where, like, do, you, where do you live? Do you live in Warwick? Uh, I'm just I'm Tamworth. I'm just outside Brom. Oh yeah yeah yeah. 
There's a nice gig in Tamworth. Who? There's a really nice gig in Tamworth in a in a bar that is that looks like a boozer that I would drink in, which is it, it, it's so strange to like. It's like seems oversimplified to to say that, but that is a really good barometer of whether you're going to enjoy a gig. If you walk in somewhere and it looks like basically an EDL hangout, you know how it's going to go. And if it looks like somewhere where you could buy heroin, you're like, this isn't going to be the night of my career. <laughs> and then there's also places where you're like, this looks really stuffed off its own backside. You're like, they're going to be snotty. You're not always right. Mm-hmm. You just have a, you just, your spider sense tingles. That place yeah, in Tamworth that... seems like a boozer I'd have a beer in. Yeah. So that was the, the mortified gig. And the bar was kind of upstairs. Yeah. And it, did, it didn't look like the room should work for comedy, but it did. It was so good. Right. Um, that bar closed and they've moved it to a working men's club now. Uh, uh. <laughs> but you know what? He packs it out. Um, little known fact to people who don't know comedy and don't like, haven't lived and died by it in the last 15, 20 years. All working men's clubs, social clubs, the bigger ones particularly, may not necessarily be in the area or have the clientele that you would traditionally want to sell comedy to. But fuck me, those rooms are phenomenal. They've had people doing shows there since like the early 60s. They've had turns on. They've got lighting. They've got sight lines. They are some amazing rooms. Yeah, and you know what? Like, I don't think he would have, like, given the choice of staying where he was and moving it to a working men's club, it's not a choice that he might have made, but because it kind of forced his hand, it's grown the gig into this this bigger entity, and it, it has been, a, like, a joy to play. Like, I've emceed it once, and it was great. So I need to get into Is it Darren? What's he called? Yeah, yeah. Darren Mortarboy. Yeah. I need to get in touch with him and be like, mate, I because podcasting has, in the last year started making us a living basically it's been Mm -hmm. like a weird forced job swap gigs have been going in my diary recently and i'm just like i'm only gonna gig places i want to and it's the most amazing like i know i'm not beyond the circuit absolutely not but i i'm i'm just ducking and diving around bookings that i would have instinctively gone for because of course you're going to work on a friday saturday night uh Mm -hmm. going down to tamworth coming down to tamworth and doing that gig sounds like is it a thursday Sounds like, a- yeah, it was was a Thursday. I, th- I think it might still be because I, I, I think he tends to play into the, the the nights where people can potentially double up with other gigs. Not you know in the yeah, radius yeah, yeah, of yeah, yeah. the time. So I am going to be coming down to Tamworth. So I'll uh, I'll give you a shout. I'll slide in Amazing. your DMs, mate. Oh, nice. Um, right now, I've been listening to your podcasts for donkey's years. Like I I, I listen to Dan Nightingale is in the house. Um, and then the, uh, the 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 radio show format before it became have a word the hack radio pod the hack radio pod yeah um, so like I had this idea of what your musical taste was based on the little snippets that you would drop into like the the old podcast um, so I'm curious to know how you approach making your mixtape I just thought of all the songs I really like and I wanted to give some sort of, just like you said, just a reflection of the things I enjoy listening to. The thing is with music, it can evoke so many memories and and be the starting point of a story or whatever. And, and other times it's just like, I'm absolutely bang into this. And I'm by no means am I a uh, an expert on music 
I I I like music just like the next person. I'm into what I'm into. I don't obsess. I've never been um I've never been anything more than like a big fan of a band and seen them a couple of times. And as you get older and you focus on your career and it's hard enough seeing my mates from uni and and spending time with people outside of comedy. I, ca I can't prioritize going to see live bands and everything. Also, it feels like a busman's holiday. But um, yeah, I've always enjoyed music. And when someone like yourself asks the question of like, what are you into? It, it makes you go, well, how, I, how do I want to be perceived by the people listening? I don't want to be judged. But I do have an eclectic taste and I listen to some pretty cool stuff and I listen to some pretty outdated shit and... <laughs> And some nonsense, and you know, I, I like, uh, I've no, I've no cool and, and no, no qualms about saying, oh, I listen to some absolute nonsense. But I just, I just thought of the, of the tunes that I like, uh, that I ask Alexa to play for me, or I have on uh, iTunes. Um, and yeah, I, I'm not an expert in music, I, and and on Show Me the Sample, which is. My other YouTube thing that I've got going with my DJ friend Felix Leiter, I basically play the the straight guy of, of music. He plays the straight guy of this is the information about the song and everything. And then I'm meant to just be amusing next to it. So I don't have to do any research. It's great, but I don't pretend to know a ton about music. So I'm hoping by the end of this, everyone's like, you know what, Dan? Dan likes some decent tunes. No, you do. It's and it is an eclectic mixtape. So, so tell me who your first tracks by. So it's by Radiohead, um, and it's a pyramid song, which is from their one, two, three, four, fifth album, Amnesiac. Maybe fourth mm -hmm. or fifth album, Amnesiac. And I I decided to start with Radiohead because. Like I just said, I've never been like a super fan of any band, but I was into Radiohead in my late teens, early twenties, more than I was in, more than I've ever been to any band. Seen them a few times, went to see them at the MEN just as they brought out uh, the album after Amnesiac. I think it was like two thousand three, was maybe two thousand two. Was Hail to the Thief, yeah, and it was when Radiohead morphed from like an indie band into something above and beyond the genre and i loved that direction because i was always i was always an indie kid who liked a few other songs i was like i liked a bit of hip-hop when i was young sort of like a young teenager and i liked um a little bit of dance music i had a prodigy album way too young really i had a jilted generation when i was like about 14. I think I've brought up, I think the prodigies later on in the selection, but when Radiohead morphed into like almost like an electronica group from indie, they lost a lot of fans. They lost a lot of sort of indie genre fans and they absolutely did not lose me. And I loved it. I, I, and I, what I find exciting about Radiohead is there's nothing funny about this. Just genuinely like, when it comes to bands and they're like, oh, we've got a uh, bass player, a guitarist, a drummer, you know, like there's a way of doing that f sort of for musicians. And, it, and it, I think it can become quite formulaic. And Radiohead just sort of started playing with 
the form of what it is to be a band. And by the time Kid A came out in maybe 99, and then Amnesiac came out about six months later because they just recorded a fuck ton of outstanding music that didn't sound like anything else. And those haunting, like, um, vocals by Tom York and the incredible uh, percussion, the amazing guitar and the electronic sound. And it, I just loved it. And it was probably the only time when I was, I'd consider myself knowledgeable and on the cutting edge of music. Like at that age, 2021, I was there. I was as cool as any kid was when it came to like music. And I think it was from then on, as I got into comedy and got better at comedy, just a slow slide into being a bellend in an orange hoodie and a backwards cap talking about, talking about music from 20 years ago. But this was the point when I was the most into music. And I brought up Pyramid Song because it's one of my favorite um, Radiohead songs. And I love it so much because people don't love this era of Radiohead. They love the bends, they love Pablo Honey, they like Creep, and they, they even like OK Computer. But this is where you talk to real Radiohead fans, and I think this is my favorite era. And it, I'm entertained by the fact that other people don't like it. Laura, my wife, does not particularly like Pyramid Song, and I think it is harrowing and stunning and haunting and beautiful and sad and... It's got one of my favorite uh, bits of percussion of all time. And I, I, I'm i sorry, I'm not a mega fan. I don't know the name of the drummer of Radiohead. But if you listen to the song and, and post this podcast, go and listen to Pyramid Song if you've never heard it or if it's been a while since you've listened to it. And the way the, the, the drums come in, they're just so lightly and it's just such an unusual rhythm. And every time I hear it, I think... How the fuck do you know when to start the drums in this song? Um, I, I love this track and um, I could listen to it all day. It makes me think of just, it makes me think of the afterlife and it isn't reassuring and it, and I still, <laughs> and I still really, I take a lot from it, even though I find it kind of frightening. I show the contrast because um, I started taking ecstasy and going clubbing just after I got to sort of Newcastle to go to university. And um, as much as I was into really good music, I also liked dancing around with bellends in nightclubs. And <laughs> when I first took my, I took a pill in Ibiza. I took a pill in Newcastle. Um, Tim Deluxe Just Won't Do was just one of the sort of funky house, which seems even cringy to say now, like, funky house. But at the time, we were like, it's cool. And it was the dance music that attractive girls like, so I was a big fan of it. Um, and I Just Won't Do was a commercially successful 
dance track at that time that maybe wouldn't have got on Radio 1, but was, was a big hit in clubs and was on like MTV Dance a lot. The video wasn't great. I think they played volleyball in like a Coliseum type setting. And it's just one of those low budget dance. There's always like borderline stripper attractive women. And you're like, this isn't, this isn't going to age well. You knew at the time it wasn't going to age well. But I was that newbie to taking um, pills and anyone who's never done it and is anti-drugs, I understand this probably doesn't sit well with you, but anyone who's done it and sort of moved past it remembers the time before anything was cliched about it because if you go clubbing and you do this stuff, it wears off and the excitement wears off and you realise that there's newbies around you being cliched about it, like, oh my God, I mean, if everyone just took these, like, there'd be no war. You're like, oh, shut up, you fucking child. But um, I, at the time of this song, was that like, oh my God, it just feels amazing. And had no sort of self-awareness and it was full of the chemicals of um, some quite good pills. And I remember coming back to a house party with my friends, my uni mates, and there was a great flat we had in on Jesmond Road. My best mate, Matt, and I was best man at his wedding. He was best man at mine. He's now a, an officer in the Navy. And we were such idiots and geeks and uh, we used to go back to that house and just stay up for way too long and one of our really sort of stunted friends was called Pete and he he was a very serious person and took himself quite seriously and was quite self-aware and if he ever took ecstasy he he put eyeliner on and wore his girlfriend's um, nighty and sort of jumped around the flat and, and, and there was one night probably one of the very first times I got wrecked where I had these DJ like studio headphones on and a um, might have even been a CD player might have been an old iPod and I listened to Tim Deluxe just won't do I can't I, I can't exaggerate I think it might have been 40 times in the course of about three hours I just got myself in a lane where it was my jam and I was high and I was happy and I didn't realize that it looked stupid that I was going into someone's like, you know, kitchen and quietly like, doo -doo -doo, doo -doo -doo. and so for all the cool, I tried to sort of label myself with, with a Radiohead. I undo it ceremoniously with Tim Deluxe just won't do. Well, like, I, I was like a little mosher when I was like in my mid-teens. And then that kind of expanded into like a bit of punk rock and hip hop because I was massively into skateboarding at the time. So like you were cooler this... than me, mate. <laughs> you were cooler than me. I don't know about that, but um, I re... so there was this kind of aversion to dance music, like uh, uh, probably probably bordering on snobbishness, just going that's not our thing. But there were certain tracks that came out that kind of permeated that. And you, they were kind of undeniably catchy. Like, and, and this track has got this kind of samba kind of funk to it, and it, it's it's infectious, mate. It's like it's other other bands that like at the time that would do that. I mean, the Prodigy got a pass anyway. Yeah, because they were they were they were grungy. They were grungy techno yeah. heads, weren't they? Yeah, exactly. But then, but at the same time, like Basement Jacks 
were coming out. And Basement Jacks, if you saw them live at a festival, they were a band. Mate. So all of a sudden, like your perception of like dance music isn't what I'm into. All of a sudden, gets called into question because like, oh, there's there's way more to this, and and this is a track that this is a track that that sort of pierces the veil and gets you into it. Yeah, and there's and there's been loads of those dance tracks that have become commercial for for good reasons and sometimes bad reasons. Sometimes they're catchy. Sometimes they're genuinely brilliant. The, the Chemical Brothers and Groove Armada and Basement Jacks. The reason we know these guys now, like Daft Punk, like they're dance music and they are absolutely incredible at what they do. And they're commercially viable because it's stunning. It's, it's within their genre. Yeah, they do a style that you might not be into, but they're so exceptional at it that everyone appreciates it in the main. Um, and I, I love all of that stuff. But then within a scene, there's DJs who are probably less talented who just knock out some sort of corkers. And, and Tim Deluxe and this song is basically that. It was never at the same standard as like Prodigy, Chemical Brothers, Basement Jacks. Like it's it's not that, but it, but it, it, it he, he, I don't know if Tim Deluxe has done a whole load since, but that song just really caught with me. And... I like playing my four-year-old daughter tunes that I like and see what she reacts to. And she really kind of likes this. She's sort of into some rock. She really likes a little bit of metal and a bit of rock. Like, it's really weird to see her respond because she doesn't have any sort of context for it. She just goes, I like this. Um, but she likes some of the uh, the dance stuff that I liked. Like, she, when Daft Punk uh, split up, I played a little bit of Daft Punk because we did it on Show Me The Sample and it was in my head and she loved it and she also likes Tim Deluxe Just Won't Do Alright, so moving on from Tim Deluxe who are we listening to now? So this is a band in Thin Lizzy that just absolutely represent my dad to me musically. Like he he was into the Beatles when he was a kid. He bought an original copy of uh, Sgt. Pepper when it came out. He had it on pre-order and that was the copy that I played in like the mid 80s. Had to be careful with it. And he also had some Thin Lizzy. He also had some ELO. He had some Fleetwood Mac and I hear I hear these uh, like Mr. Blue Sky or or anything from Rumours or any like sort of mid-period Beatles like like 67-ish and I think of my dad but Thin Lizzy more than ever like the boys are back in town and jailbreak as soon as they come on I just think of my dad doing his cheesy sort of like dad dancing we used to go skiing when we were a kid and we, we went to a place called Andorra which is on the border of France and Spain and it's kind of cool Andorra it wasn't like showy offy skiing it was just sort of what I perceive as I know skiing sounds posh but it, it really really wasn't and we had a bar that we went to probably every night can't remember and just sort of watched my parents get pissed and my dad got on with the barman and, and managed to cajole him into playing some of these tunes and I've got a very strong memory of my bearded pissed dad in probably 
1989 in a full, really like garish, multicolored uh, onesie, like ski and sellapets and all in one in his ski boots. Absolutely fucking hammered, holding court with the with all his mates and all, like some of their kids and us and and dancing to Thin Lizzy. And I still love whacking on a little bit of Thin Lizzy for now and then. And, and it's one of those tunes that make me look older than I am. Like I'm 40 in a week or so. And if you know all the words to Thin Lizzy tunes that came out in like 1978 or whatever, Christ, you look old. But I, I love this... Uh, I love this track just because it's such a dad tune for me. And by the way, I will be listening to this tune for a long time to come because there are some songs from the 80s, 70s, 80s that haven't maybe been murdered by commercial radio station or adverts. They've, they weren't so popular that they've been done to death. Um, and the, this is one of those ones that I've listened to enough that I still love but hasn't been overdone. And I'll be listening to this, like, hopefully in some fucking ski resort down the line. Just for like, all my kids like, oh, dad, what are you doing? I can't wait. All right, so that's Thin Lizzy. Who are we listening to now? Uh, the Killers... When you were young, this is my karaoke song. This oh, is my go-to. I don't, I don't, like the killers smashed it. When did, when, I've got a very strong memory of being at the Fringe in like 2004 or 2005 when we beat Australia in the ashes. And this first killers album was massive. And, and Mr. Brightside, I think this is from the second album a few years later. Yeah, I think it might be. Yeah. So, um, Mr. Brightside and all of those amazing tracks that were just, if you went to indie clubs in the in the noughties, I mean, they got played. There's so many tracks that just got, especially because we were in Manchester at this point. They, they were like, if you went out to indie nights, these were, you were definitely going to hear, so, like the doves yeah. pounding. A hundred percent you were going to hear it. Yeah. Like the killers, Mr. Brightside, you had to hear it. It was part of the night. And then yeah. like you'd always hear, oh, I don't know, like the hives. It was just like there was so many tunes, but this is one of them. And then I've always liked the killers since then. Never got like really into them. And then I heard this song a couple of years after and it's just in my range as a singer. And I've not got a great voice, but I get a beer in me and I will... I will get up and do a bit of karaoke, but I'm that prick that either has to be funny or look good. I don't want to get it wrong. So I will dick around and try and be the, co the comedian who doesn't take himself seriously, or I'll do Mr. Brightside and really try and try and brush it off like, hey, we're just having a laugh. But I, am, I want to go back to the table and have someone go, God, Dan, you've got a really good voice. Um, so this is a real vanity pick because I like this song, because it's a good song, but I sound good when I sing it, I think. I, um, I, I like The Killers. I probably got a little bit weary of them because they were played so much. 
and maybe didn't appreciate them as much as I should have. Um, but I, I was I was really pleased to see them headline Glastonbury because I thought that was like because because this is quite a while after their kind of their heyday. So to come back and nail that and put on an amazing show was incredible. And the other thing that recently made me appreciate them more, and it's and it's related to this song, is there's an episode of Song Exploder on Netflix where they deconstruct how they wrote this song and how they approach the recording of it. If you've not watched it, it's amazing because like each episode is 15, 20 minutes long, so it's dead easy to just watch in a short space of time. You don't have to like fit your life around it. It's dead interesting. And it made me appreciate them all more as musicians, seeing how it was built up and how they kind of mix the track. It's really, really interesting. Right. I'll, uh, yeah, I'll give that a watch. I, I, yeah, I'm, I know what you mean about like when stuff gets so popular, it's easy to sort of disregard it. You're like, oh, go away. Like it's a, it's mm. a fine balance, isn't it? By being popular, selling loads of records and then not just getting annoying. But I, yeah, they're the kind of band that, I can imagine a pretty good life from what I've seen of them. Like, uh, like Kasabian. I've never been a Kasabian guy, but I hear they they were amazing when when they played live. Uh, I bet the Killers, yeah, I bet the Killers were awesome live. What's your, before we go on, what's your uh, karaoke song? Do you have one? Okay. Um, well, I, I, it's weird. We talked about this this week. Um, I, I hadn't done karaoke until 2018. Wow. Yeah. So like, I, like, and I, like I used to be like a gigging musician. So maybe, maybe right. I, I got that, I got that fix. So but, but you know, by singing cover songs at like music gigs rather than karaoke bars, so I, I probably just didn't need it up until then. But then I was uh, I was over in uh, California with work, and it was one of those nights where it wasn't supposed to be a party night, but it just kind of went that way. And someone just went, "Should we do karaoke?" And I was like, "I've never done it." And they were like, "We're going." Yeah. And we just descended on this little, and it's like it's like it wasn't like a karaoke night; it was a karaoke bar. In, in Irvine and we were there until three in the morning and I did My Way by Sinatra Hack karaoke hack well, I didn't know <laughs> um, but I think I think I think like Mr. Brightside by The Killers would be a fun one to do uh, Mr. Brightside yeah I imagine that's a real tub thumper when you were young is a sort of like if you don't know, in, there's a chance that people don't know it, but it is a good song. So, like, I like the fact that it's not one that everyone knows when I sing it. And also, like, I've done karaoke in a few different places, but my favourite ever place to do karaoke was in Manchester. And the in the sort of Chinatown, there's some Chinese karaoke, which if you're from a small town or whatever... Sounds a bit alien, but in bigger cities, Chinese karaoke is a thing. They love casinos and they love karaoke. 
and we had a great time going from the Frog and Bucket down to this one place, which I think was called Raymond's. Oh, my days. It was so funny. They appeased both the Chinese clientele and the British clientele, who all just ignored each other, said hello, got on. Never, I never saw a problem. And also, if you know anything about that sort of Asian community in Manchester, you've got to be careful about who you're bumping into, just in case. Just, you know what I mean. Um, and it was so funny because you couldn't... Like, it's a weird thing where you're drunk and someone's just sung, like, American Pie, and then the next person gets up is Chinese and sings one of their famous songs in Mandarin very badly. And you have to sit there going, don't laugh, because it could be a triad. And that is a very... <laughs> That's a really weird spot to be in when you're like, I want to be like, what the fuck is this? Uh, but after a few visits, you j just becomes part of the charm. So yeah, I never tried one of the uh, Chinese hits, but uh, I did smash out so, the killers when you were young. And so, sometimes you close your eyes. I love it. I really go for it as well. I probably can't even sing it that well, but in, in my head, I'm like, nailed that, Dan. Nailed it. <laughs> so I went to my best mate's wedding in Bali and he he was marrying into a Chinese family. Some quality humble brags from you so far. Like I was with Calif I was in California for work, and my friend was getting married in Bali. Carry on. Uh, all right. I'll, I'll tell you what. For context' sake, if it's any consolation, my name was fucking mud with my wife. Oh really? Because I got I got sent on a couple of work trips that year. Kind of won the opportunity to go to California with work and told my best mate that I would go stand beside him at his wedding in Bali. and Without and, her? And, she couldn't go. Oh, you absolute legend. That is so bold. <laughs> so bold, sir. So, so like, I, like, he laid it on thick. Like, he, like, he very rarely comes up from London. He's in, like, finance. Like, he, he you know, he's, he, he's working hard. So he very rarely comes back to the Midlands, but he makes the trip up and he takes me out for breakfast. He says, look, I know it's a massive ask, but I, I need you there. I can't imagine getting married and not having you there. You know, I need, I need, I need you. And I was just like, right, if I can find a way, I'll do it. So like, so I then had to tell Sarah that I wanted to go and that it was important to him and it was important to me um, because he's asked me to be his best man. Like I can't, I can't not like he was mine. I can't not do it. And then I put as so well like I, I I I booked the flight. I booked my accommodation. <clears throat> and it was after that that I found out that he had three best men. I mean, he still needed you there. And it was I'm sure the sentiment was genuine, but it is a bit misleading, isn't it? Like because you're like, mate, I've got to go. He's going to be stood there on his own. Oh no, you've got a fucking small team of us funny yeah so uh, because he was married into a chinese family they have these traditions on the day of the wedding okay <laughs> you have to play these kind of chinese parlor games to win the bride essentially for the groom that day there's a, there's a, there's a whole tradition and routine around it and so we're playing this game with the, where there are several different rounds and i get picked for the first round where you have to listen to a, chi a traditional Chinese song through headphones 
and read the words and sing it out loud in the hope that the Chinese people will be able to recognize the song that you're singing. That's that's the goal. And there is a fine line between nailing that and racism. I honestly would have made the trip out to Bali just to be involved in that fucking debacle. <laughs> oh my God. What kind of culture? What kind of... I mean, I do not trust the Chinese government in any way. I'm sure the Chinese people are wonderful kind, interesting, cultured people. But what type of tradition have you developed where, A, I mean, feminist Twitter is not going to enjoy Chinese bridal culture, but (laughs) what type of gain is that? Like, you've got to sing a song and not be racist, and then you can win a girl for your mate? I mean, it's high stakes. (laughs) Try not to be racist to who? Us. Like, oh, my God. Welcome to our country. Sing this and be fucking careful. Amazing. Oh, my days. All right, so moving on from The Killers and Accidental Racism, uh, who's your next track by? Um, So it's by Van Morrison. It's Days Like This, and it's the song that me and my wife um, had our first dance to. I know Van Morrison through all the times he's been used in... TV and film. I mm-hmm. I basically just through being a bit of a film fan and enjoying TV. Like I remember hearing some of his stuff on the West Wing, and I think this song is is featured in As Good as It Gets with Jack Nicholson, and um, when they go on a wee road trip trip towards the sort of the end of the film, and he plays it as part of his soundtrack to try and win over Helen Hunt, mm-hmm. and it's just such a corking song and. Uh, we we audio mixed this after about a minute and a half, two minutes of this, of a slow dance. We mixed in uh, Call Me Al by Paul Simon and it just, the dance floor kicked off. So I just, I love this song. I think Van Morrison is amazing. I actually have a CD that is available. <laughs> like that's, for, that's how long ago. He put, he, people have put together like Van Morrison at the movies and all of the tracks that have been featured in films have been put on an album because he is prolific this guy's been going since i think the 60s and he doesn't fuck about he knocks out like he's like dylan-esque output yeah and yeah i'm i just i love that that um album that uh it's still in the i still have it in the car i just I really occasionally love it and um sticking it on and this is one of my favorite van morrison uh, tracks and yeah it's happy memories because of what was a great wedding day that I had at the Nottingham Glee the Nottingham Glee what a touch that was I was like my wife's from Nottingham we're getting married in Nottingham we're doing it on a bank holiday Sunday they're not open I'll ask them to see if we can hire the venue we were getting quoted 10 grand we were getting quoted 8 grand and they came back to me and said listen Dan I'm really sorry but we're going to have to charge you £675 <laughs> I will always love the Nottingham Glee because of that. Kudos to you for actually making a transition point in your first dance, which makes it really obvious when everyone should get up and join you. Because when it's just that one slow jam, if the if the happy couple don't think to beckon people on, there's that awkward, do we? Do we go up? Do yeah, we interdu- do, absolutely. Do we interrupt we, their moment? We made sure we had a moment. Everyone saw us. Everyone could take the picture. We could have the official photographer. 
we we made our wedding a we really considered everyone else at our wedding Laura and I decided we wanted everyone to be like that wedding was so much fun and um, we didn't yeah. have anything like we basically had like a a hot pot buffet proper northern um everyone just tucked in at like there was no set meal there was no set mm -hmm. menu there was no like fustiness and yeah even in our first dance we considered like that's the nice moment and let's have that that also the memory of everyone as soon as it was as soon as the trumpet like everyone just went vump and it was great it was a great moment There'll be days like this When you don't get betrayed By that old Judas cursing Oh, my mama told me There'll be days like this Now, what, what, what I like about your mixtape is because you've just gone for, like, either little waypoints in your life uh, or songs that you're really enthusiastic about, there have been some hard left turns. But from Van Morrison, we are now going to... The prodigy, voodoo people. The hoodoo, hoodoo, what you don't dare do, people. Um, the, uh, the voodoo people is from the Jilted Generation, which I think is their second studio album. The experience was copied to me uh, on a tape by my babysitter, Matthew, who lived two doors down on the street that I grew up. And he was like... I think he might have even been at the Catholic college in town. Like, he was that cool. Like, uh, 16 going on 17. And he would make me mixtapes of old hip-hop. I think I even had, uh, about 10 years old, 11 years old, uh, an NWA mixtape. Um, I had a bit of Public Enemy. I had um, the Prodigy. I think I might have even had some Utah Saints. Um and I really like The Prodigy and I really like that old sort of rave dance music and I love what The Prodigy did we mentioned them earlier in the podcast they were sort of commercial and grungy and they got played at techno nights they got played at uh, indie nights you know Smack My Bitch Up and Firestarter were just like I think they went to number one like it's a hell of a thing to start as like some kid producers, DJs who put rave tunes on and then end up in within three or four years having number one hits. And it, in and around 96, 97, 98, when they were doing that, there were some giants in the charts. Like if you go the top five in anywhere in and around 1997, there's some absolute behemoths atop the UK top void and there's and there's Prodigy being like yeah and um, the Jilted Generation I think I'd guess was like 94 maybe so I'd have been 13 maybe 95 and I asked you know at Christmas when you get old enough that you start asking your grandparents they start asking like your mum what what you want for Christmas so I probably foolishly asked my nana Frida Sharples God bless her um, if she could buy me the tape not CD tape of the Prodigy Jilted Generation. And the front cover of the album is almost a little bit like um, post-apocalyptic. It's a bit Terminator 2-esque. There's like a sheet of metal. Like, yeah. you know when Han Solo gets trapped in the in Jabba's, or is it, 
is it Boba Fett's freezing stuff and he's like almost like yep. frozen in cast iron there's a face sort of screaming while the metal is sort of molded around him it's quite a strong bit of imagery and my nana's a very sweet and tolerant person but apparently she put a quiet complaint in to my mum that she didn't want to be buying that sort of thing and i don't think it was about what i was listening to i think it was the fact that she as at the time a probably 78 year old pensioner had to go in hmv preston and buy what looked like some really toxic music um and the voodoo people is just an absolute banger from that album and i was really into it as a kid and i remember in my clubbing days in manchester we were at a club night and it was all sort of quite cool like minimalist techno and you know a lot of that music like i don't know it i just you know i'm off my head and there's a there's a beat and a bit of bass and then the dj played voodoo people and i fucking nearly did a plop i was so excited and that's again testament to good music isn't it that 10 years 15 years later someone in a cool club a very cool club in manchester is like oh, i'm gonna play voodoo people um so yeah great tune not for everyone but i love it they were well they were and are kind of transcendent because like like i said earlier they get a, they get a pass like because they because there were some tunes where they had like rock guitar in it so that's how they kind of got their in with that crowd and then they were in with the indie guys and they were they were already establishing the dance world. and that became like a talking point between the two social groups that they could actually sort of talk about yeah because that that was the only thing they they had in common um yeah. yeah, just I can't I can't think of many acts like them. And there's yeah. been a lot of with dance music. There's been a lot of commercial crap that wasn't very good, and I don't think you'd ever level that criticism at the Prodigy. All right, so moving on from the prodigy, who we're listening to now? Um, it's time to do a bit of hip hop, eh? And um, I absolutely love hip hop, and there's very few acts that I'm into, sort of post 2010. My <laughs> my love of hip hop uh, d definitely just sort of stopped as I hit sort of 27. Like, not my love of hip hop. I still listen to the old stuff. It just almost like it was like my memory of my laptop just got filled up. I just had no more hard drive space and I was like, ah, I can't do it. And I, of all the stuff I've, been, I've mentioned when I very first listened to hip hop with NWA and, and like Public Enemy when I was a kid and I really enjoy sort of the late 90s, early 90s hip hop. Um, and Dilated Peoples were a hip hop group that had a couple of albums that went pretty big in America but didn't really like break over here you had to sort of be into hip hop to know the dilated peoples and and they worked with some some pretty big artists who went on to be um like superstars like very young Kanye was on mm -hmm. one of the dilated peoples tracks that I like um but Worst Comes to Worst is just one of my favourite hip-hop tracks of all time. 
it's from the era 2005-ish, in and around there, 2006, where I was so into my hip-hop. And it was when I was really coming up in stand-up and I was trying to make my bones in comedy by being a a really good middle or opener because I was never headlining. It took me a few years to get to headliner. I started stand-up in 2002 and started making a living off it about two years later. And that wasn't because I was like a, a genius or anything. It was just because I needed about 80 quid a week to live and I was quite comfortable. Um, and the Dilated Peoples had this track and within this track, there is a line about we make it hard when we go on first. And it, yeah. it was just everything about where I was and where they were. They were very good and sort of unheralded. They'd go on first. They wouldn't be the headliner. And it's exactly where I was with my stand-up. And I loved making it hard when I went on first. I loved ripping gigs so much that it was annoying to the next act. Because if you do that enough in anything you will be bumped up the bill. And uh, mm -hmm. that line always resonated with me for really obvious selfish reasons. But um, yeah, uh, yeah well, I love I mean, Dilated Peoples. It, for, for context, right, this, this track charted in the UK, got to number 29. There you go, and 29, this, yeah, yeah, like in and around. But, but this isn't a time when boom bap hip hop did that. The majority of the charts, there was maybe Ja Rule, you know. Oh, but yeah, that's, yeah. That, that was that whole kind of R&B-tinged kind of pop hip-hop that was kind of oh, doing yeah. the, the I rounds. Mean, yeah, Jay-Z and, and like yeah. 50 Cent was a very commercial... They were they were stars in hip-hop. This, this, this was cooler hip-hop, wasn't it? This was all part of the same scene, really, but they weren't, they weren't as big absolutely like it was surprising how well it did to me i remember hearing it on like the on radio one and going holy shit they're playing dilated peoples because i'd listened to like the platform and then i'd bought the album that this track had come from because i i knew dilated peoples because they featured on skate videos and snowboard videos oh right 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 yeah so so i mean any anyone who's listened to any other episode of this podcast will probably hate me for saying it but like that's one of the ways my musical horizons got expanded because like you would get the look the the latest video and that rider's section who you idolized would have this amazing tune accompanying it and and you watch it again and again and again and all of a sudden the tune is just ingrained in your head and to to hear something that came from like this subculture that you're involved in suddenly be main in the mainstream was really strange to me Oh yeah, I like that. yeah. So you you almost there's something about the little guy, isn't there? Like there's something Absolutely. about going. I like. I think that's why I associate myself with them. And not not just that. I, I I did love some of the tracks, but yeah, that's sort of like ah, oh, we're on your team. I'm sort of rooting for you. I'm a little guy as well. Like it was great. No, yeah, good for them. I don't know what what came of them really. Um, oh, they're still out there. They're still out there. Still doing it. Still doing it. Babu, Irish science, evidence, and my man Alchemist on the Trizac. I love it. Worst come the worst, my peoples come first. I got worldwide family all over the earth. 
And I worry about them all for whatever it's worth From the birth to the hearse, through streets the guns burst Words I disperse are here to free uh, minds yeah. And if mine are needy, I need to feed mine uh -huh. When words come to worst Set up shop and write a verse, actually Alright, so we've got another hip-hop banger now But this is more recent but it's of the same ilk, I'd say. So this, this, I, I threw it in there straight away because I, as soon as I picked the dilated people, I was like, Christ, your taste in hip hop really dates you. And so little hip hop has, is relatively new hip hop uh, that I'm into. And then it made me instantly think of Run The Jewels. could have easily put logic homicide in here and if you're a real hip-hop head you're like dan these are like really obvious choices i know i'm not an expert by any means but uh i wanted to to throw out an example of people that are doing hip-hop now that i'm so into and uh run the jewels ooh la la ooh la 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 hang on is it ooh la la ooh la 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 Ooh la la la. Well, it's it, it yeah, it's, it's only ooh la la. Is it in, ooh in la the la? title? But but in the title, but as the song goes, yeah, there's there are more ooh las. Ooh la uh, la, ah wee wee. Yeah, that's it. I was trying to. So, I was trying to add too many las. You can tell I do a podcast with Scousers. Go on. <laughs> so, I'm I'm kind of with you as as far as hip hop in the last sort of 10, 15 years is concerned. Like for a while it was like hip-hop was in that room in the club and you might have looked in the door, heard what was being played and go, no, not for me. Because for a time, it was this weird auto-tuned mumble. And I'm sure there's been good examples of that, but it, I wanted like lyricism that I could hear and understand and I wanted proper samples and beats and little loops of like instrumentation that was the sort of stuff that spoke to me and i've so like i've not actively looked for for like new hip-hop that much un unless it's presented to me by someone but um the first time i heard this track was on the last episode of ozark, ozark. on netflix <laughs> just after she gets murked <laughs> like and it was it was it was it was a punchline that the, the way they introduced that track was a punchline because you did not see that coming. I, I really think less of people who don't like Ozark. Um, and you're absolutely right. That was a real sort of Game of Thrones red wedding moment, wasn't it? When they just yeah, absolutely. when they just went, you know something's coming, you're not sure how it's going, and then whack! And then all of a sudden, doom, 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 doom. It was brilliant. I forgot that they whacked that on at the end of that episode. Great memory there, mate. And 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 that was before the album dropped. So like, I was just like, who is that? I need to know who that is. And uh, I, I mentioned it to Danny Clives. I was just like, that track on the last episode's amazing. And he sent me 
a link to it on Spotify. I was like, oh my God, it's Run The Jewels, amazing. So uh, yeah, just got stuck straight into that. And and this is the sort of thing I'm talking about with that, that piano loop. You know, such a simple three, four note combination looped with a good beat. It's a, it's immense. Oh, uh, yeah. And it's also a style of like just going away from the sort of like auto tune, which has been sort of really prevalent for the last like 10, 10 years in hip hop. Then I, I am not a fan of like Lil Wayne and stuff like that. Like they get held up as like, I don't know. I'm just not into it. I really like the hip hop. If you said that um, Run the Jewels was produced by, you know, the same guys that were producing like Dr. Dre 20 years mm. ago, you'd be like, can kind of see it. Um, these are yeah. older dudes as well. I mean, the fucking yeah. RH. Yeah. And Killer Mike. And Killer Mike is. It's just hard not to like these guys. The more, the more you find out about them, they're just they're pretty special. And the, the the videos are phenomenal as well. And shout out to Logic for being fun and brilliant as well. I just yeah, there's a lot of sort of grown up hip hop knocking about. Looking for amps like I lost a friend. Jump out of my bed like where the bread. You go hold the egg. Wait to bring the check. When we talk, we collect the cars. Keep us in your thoughts. Fully dressed at the crack of dawn. Weapons heading off. I can hear them from the block. See them creeping through the fog. Season's greetings, now feeding season can start. Oh my God. Look alive. Looking like I live life on a crooked line. And there's, and there's a tenuous link there because I think DJ Premier worked on Ooh La La. And if he was... Uh, Gangstars DJ and Guru features in Worst Comes to the Worst. Oh, Gangstar. He's still going as well, isn't he? Oh, no, he's not because he died. Oh, no, he's <laughs> really? When did Gangstar die? No, the, so, so Guru passed away and then there was this sort of hoo-ha about his estate and then that's kind of been settled. DJ Premier is still around and they, they released some stuff posthumously in the last year or so. Mate, I honestly thought Gangstar was one hip-hop artist. I'm so sorry. That that literally proves to everyone going, you don't really know your hip-hop that well. I really don't. I thought Gangstar was one one hip-hop artist. No, Gangstar's the, 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 the name of the group. So that's DJ Premier and Guru. But they are um, back because I've just... I literally downloaded something from... I was about to say him, them... They're, they're still working, aren't they? Well, yeah. So, like like I said, they've got some unreleased stuff that they've been putting out, like, posthumously. Right. Um, right. There you go. Sorry. So, so I, I, there was some sort of fallout between Guru and, and DJ Premier. Like, uh, I think Guru started working with someone else and it got kind of ugly. And then maybe it all got squashed just before he passed um, or right. it got settled afterwards but it's a yeah it's a, always a, a fun thing isn't it when they go through the back catalogue and be like listen this wasn't good enough to be released back in the day but we like money and so fuck it here it is like could you buy it thanks <laughs> like Tupac's Nana who's still selling shit that he fucking accidentally did on a on a dictaphone in 1994 like oh we found some more <laughs> we're gonna sell it People will buy it. That's yeah. the thing. All right. So, how do you follow Run the Jewels? You follow it with some mid to late 90s Welsh indie. I think of you do. it's obvious, you know, one of the biggest uh, 
hip-hop acts in the USA, followed by one of the lesser-known Welsh indie bands of the late 90s. And I was like, is it Super Fairy Animals? No, it's Gorgie Zygotic Monkey. And I can't even say it right. If you're Welsh, you're like, that's not how you say it. <laughs> I say it, Gorgie's Zygotic Monkeys. Now, I don't know what it means. I've never found out. I imagine, I, I think we all do, that there's a guy called Gorgie and he's got a psychotic monkey. I mean, but yeah, they did a song called Patio Song and uh, it. <laughs> I love the Super Fair Animals. I loved some of that Welsh indie. The Super Fair Animals are fucking awesome and I love their graphics and Herman loves Pauline and oh, it's so good. Super Fuzzy Logic is really fucking cool indie with a sense of humor when like Gallagher brothers were like really buying their own bullshit there's like Grufrus and all the lads at Super Fairy Animals just like clearly sort of taking the piss um, and the Patio song came out in and around that time by Gorgie's I Got It Monkey and we got tickets for not a lot of money to go and see them at the Roadhouse in Manchester uh, me and my friend Michael and we got the train. We sort of got mugged in Manchester. It was really funny. Someone asked us for some bus money. And I was like, I've hardly got any money. And I got money out. And he was like, oh, I'll have that money. And I was like, oh, fuck. Um, it wasn't a mugging. <laughs> it was me just being dumb as fuck. And when, it didn't ruin the day at all. Because we had about £2.50 left. And in 1997, that was all you needed. That was fine. Na, 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 na. Went and watched Gorgie's I Got Him. There must have been about 50 people. We got really close to the front. It was my first ever live gig. It was small. It was sweaty. And we bought their new single. Uh, fuck if I can't remember the name of that single. Uh, it was something like Daffodil Song. Anyway, we got it from uh, an independent record shop in the afternoon. And we got it signed... We each got one, and we each got them signed by Yoros Childs, the lead singer of Golgi's I Got Him Monkey, that night. And, yeah, I never really got into the band thing. That was my first ever time doing it. I've done it since. I never became a proper music head or an indie kid, but it was pretty cool at the time. Like, the first time you do that is always pretty cool, isn't it? Like, it's one of those memories that will stay with me for a long time. It's a bit of a weird song. But I really, I really still enjoy it. What was your first, very first proper like band, live band? First live gig was Terrorvision at the Aston Villa Leisure Centre. Wow. Uh, so that that was the second album, How to Make Friends and Influence People. Uh, they had a single called Oblivion, which was this really bouncy kind of do-what rock song. They were like heralded as like the future of British rock at the time. What's and, the song that I know from Terrorism? Is that Oblivion? Is it? Uh, it would be probably Perseverance. Perseverance. Uh, the way yes. Yeah. Uh, uh, charted at number five and then they did get a number one with tequila but that was a mint royale remix so there's it's questionable with that kind i didn't enjoy tequila i didn't enjoy that song 
but uh, Perseverance was great. Oh, it's a banger. Absolute Aston banger. Villa Leisure Centre. Have you still got Scottish accent if you've been in the Midlands for that long? Uh, oh, dear. No, that's a long story that I hoped I would never have to tell on this podcast. Thanks, Dan. Um, so, we moved down here when I was about five. And you were and stubborn I, as fuck. No, not, not even that. I kind of... It, it's 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 worse than that. Um, I picked up the local twang really quickly because I was always a mimic. Even when we lived in Scotland, I would pick up accents off the TV and like like some woman at a bus stop in Fife once turned around and asked my mum how long we'd lived in California because I'd just been watching the fucking A-Team or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then we moved to England and I picked up the twang mainly just to fit in. But every day when I set foot back into the house, this would happen right so I've, I've got this kind of dual personality thing going on and that never stopped so like you know cut to me being like 21 working in a snowboard shop and i'm behind the till and i, I sound sort of very middle of the road west midlands kind of not quite brummy and then the, the phone would go and it's my dad and i would switch into this and my mates would go what the fuck just happened yeah 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 and it's not culturally so, insensitive because the voice you're doing is still is still yours and it's not like you're answering the phone going hello like that would be <laughs> that would be right like michael's really got to stop answering the phone as a unacceptable chinese person you're like yeah but that wedding really affected him you know that singing's really really affected him uh, so do you know it's so then- funny you're telling me this exactly the same thing happened with my mate jerry who i went to right. Ger- gerald uh Jared McLaughlin, who now lives in right. Glasgow, Scottish family, lived in St. Anne's, went to college in Preston, taught like us, went to his house, and he was Scottish. And I was like, what the fuck is going on? And it was exactly the same thing. He's like, it's a kind of thing. I, It just literally like a, it's, it can be switched on and off so quickly. Fascinating. Yeah, so... So I took the summer off work when I was 23 and went around the country playing music, basically like sofa surfing and doing open mic acoustic nights wherever I could go. And I spent uh, a month or so back in Scotland, really settled back into it and came back and went, fuck it, I'm keeping it. And everyone thought I was a fucking weirdo, but I have been punching above my weight ever since. Good on you. And Good on you. We're, it's what it's nearly 16 years ago and thing is some of my friends were aware of it because you know some people would come to my house and they would see it happen and once it happened a couple of times in the shop it was just a thing that they knew but to the general sort of you had to come out as scottish yeah pretty much but not to your parents you know (laughs) yeah just just to everyone else just to everyone else guys I want to sit you down. This is something I've wanted to tell you for a long time. I'm fucking Scottish, by the way. That's amazing. And just like my friend uh, Jared, he literally got out of college and went, I'm going to uni in Glasgow and I'm fucking Scottish and just never, never did it again. Mm-hmm. It's just like fascinating. I love that. I wish I, sure, I wish I'm- I was Irish. I wish my heritage was Irish because I'd be such a better comedian if I was like, oh, Jesus, no. Let me tell you about this. I... It, <laughs> So, so I've seen so much comedy that's perfectly average go down brilliantly in UK comedy clubs because the comic is Irish. It's just so much more 
interesting and melodic and the 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 Irish Southern Irish accent is oh, such a winner mm-hmm. in comedy. Oh yeah, it's it's um I think it just it just kind of it, it it's it's a foot in the door like it it piques people's interest and they sort of lean in and pay a bit more attention because oh there's a story here, you know. Oh yeah. Um, You're trustworthy. But, uh, You're trustworthy. That's why all call centers uh, are based in some part of fucking Dundee because English people are like, oh, yeah. they're Scottish, they're trustworthy, they're good with money, they're trustworthy. And it's the weirdest <laughs> thing. I once went through to a customer service center in Belfast. That is one of the worst ideas you can ever have in customer service because it's just naturally <laughs> combative and you get your back up and you're like, Mr. Nightingale, will you listen to me? I'm like, no, I'm a customer. You fucking listen to me. I, I will not be spoken to like this. I was like, well, you're speaking to me like that. It doesn't work. It doesn't work. <laughs> No one wants to buy car insurance off some guy like in Toxteth, like, lad, lad, just say you do 8,000 miles. But yeah, there's something about those mild Scottish twangs that really work. Is it Fife your family are from? Yeah. There you go. They're all, so, the, so everyone, all the family's based around Glenrothes. Um, oh. So it's that kind of that new town kind of right. mentality. It's. Uh, like I, I always thought I would move back. It's never going to happen now because I've, I've I've married an English girl who, who hates the cold. But um, I always I always thought I would move back eventually. But I, you know, it's not going to happen. Just think of the divorce, mate. That's what I always do. <laughs> <laughs> you can when she kicks you out. All right, that's one for a future episode. All right. So following on from Gorgie's iconic monkey, I can't say it as well as you do, but. We find ourselves at your final track, but before we get stuck into that, your your podcast have a word has has taken off massively in it's not even a year at this point, right? Yeah, it's a year. Yeah. All right, okay. But you have this other side project on the go that is more musically driven. So t- tell me about that and how that came about. It's called Show Me the Sample. I'm I'm from those days clubbing in Newcastle. I've mates with a guy who's gone on to become quite successful in dance music. Uh, it's, uh, it's DJ Felix Leiter. And he's one of my really good mates. One of my, you know, we became such close friends because I was always gigging in Newcastle. And whenever I was up there, he was like one of my only remaining friends. So um, he's just a really tenacious sort of worker and he works really hard at production of his music. And... He also is great with online stuff. He's got um, a few irons in the fire and he came to me. He's been very supportive with Have A Word. He was actually one of the people that initially said, look, the hat radio's not working, but Adam's episode was great. You should really talk to Adam. And I'd already had that thought, but he was spot on. He was the person that made me go to Adam and and say, I think we might have something here. And he came, uh, Felix came to me in September said, I've had an idea and I, I think you might be too busy for it. So who do you think up here, comedian-wise, would be good at this? Because I want to play a dance track or a track and then show how the producer or artist sampled music to make the track and just tell the story of the song and the samples. And he explained it and I was like, I'd, I'd like to be that, that comedian because it sounds like a lot of fun. And as I said earlier... I don't pretend to know the story. I just listen, react. He does a lot of work on it and it's going really well. We're just about to hit 
2,000 YouTube subscribers. Some episodes go mental because it's like Jerry Cinnamon. It's got a major YouTube following. Uh, mm -hmm. Other tracks are more for the purists. We've done a bit of hip-hop. We've done a bit of indie. We've done a bit of dance. And it's really fun. We're really proud of it. And as I say, Felix is just dragging me along for the ride. It's just, it's the dream as a, uh, a modern comedian to have someone smart and talented and hardworking go, Dan, could you just jump on Zoom for an hour every week and I will help your career. It's, that's, that's <laughs> absolutely where I want to be from now on. Doing no production, editing no videos for uh, social media and reaping the benefits. So... Go and have a look at Show Me The Sample and uh, see what you think. It's about 15, 20 minutes long, the episodes. We've got a Patreon where you get loads more, like the full episode, and you get it a week early, and then there's loads of extras we're throwing up there, and that's starting to grow as well. So, yeah, man, I'm really proud of it. It's, uh, it's going well. Amazing. Okay, so who's your last track by? By Ryan Adams, uh, My Winding Wheel. One of my absolute favourite... Uh, uh, songs and a song that I've been listening to I mean probably for like 15 odd years I don't, I don't even know how I discovered it and I love playing it on the ukulele um, it's it's one of my go-to ukulele uh, tracks um, and it's also interesting and I, I chose it on purpose because Ryan Adams has been accused of some sexual misconduct and some uh the finger has been pointed at him and i'm not sure it's been proved necessarily but the me too movement twatted ryan adams over his head and basically called him a pig a bully and uh, accused him of being quite predatory with uh fans now uh these are allegations i don't know if he's been proved or, or um I don't know if he's been convicted of any of these things, but it's the the mud is stuck on a lot of this, mm. and it, I think it's a fascinating thing when you get older how some of your heroes turn out to be potential douchebags, and it's a funny thing the balance of having have having dealt with some complaints with have a word because we are not just close to the bone we sometimes have a good old nibble on the bone. <laughs> we've had some complaints and we've had some uh, minority groups try and focus on us as uh, purveyors of hate speech which is laughable uh, in one sense but they truly believe what they're saying we're making jokes about everyone like white straight cisgendered British men and all sorts of people from minorities not in not for the purpose of bullying or hate speech and it's just the sense of like we're taking the piss out of everyone ourselves yeah. mainly but straight people white people like muslims like like hindus like feminists uh sexists racists like everyone is fair game if you're just taking the piss and if you listen to our podcast and you listen to all of it you get the sort of contrast and you get the context um it's it's funny when people come after you and go, you're this, you're that, and label you. And then it's interesting when it happens to your music, where you're like, I'm into this band, and then he did this, or she did that, or they've been accused of this, and it, and you have a weird decision to make about, do I reject them and 
sort of erase them from my from my playlists because of these accusations. Um, a great example of this is the Lost Prophets, who I think you will know quite well, and who were in and around the era of a lot of the music we've talked to, a fucking big band in yeah. in the UK with with a couple of absolute classic songs. I mean, mm -hmm. one in particular that I have on a mixtape my mate gave me about 15 years ago that I've still got in the wallet next to my Van Morrison at the movies, next to some of the mixtape I've been making off iTunes. And I have put the CD on and it's got Smashing Pumpkins, it's got a, a random Oasis track, and then all of a sudden it's got the Lost Prophets song. And the Lost Prophets, because of everything, and if you don't know it, just have a little research, it's a grotesque story, have been erased and deleted because yeah. they're, uh, the accusations are so abhorrent. And it's funny with Ryan Adams where I, I've got a fair idea that this guy's a bit of a prick. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, but I love Winding Wheel. <laughs> so it's a really irresponsible take when I'm like, ah, yeah. Unless you are objectively a fucking monster. Um, I don't think I'm I'm willing to delete if I truly love the track. So people will hear Ryan Adams and they'll... And, you know, I'm not being serious in every aspect of this podcast. I am a comedian and I feel like I'm doing the same blurb that we have to do if I have a word. But, yeah, the guy's probably a bit of a dick. And um, I don't know if I want him around my sister, but, Jesus, I love this song. Dan, thank you so much for coming on. It's been it's it's been really interesting hearing about the songs, but I think the conversation has uh, has become uh, more of an interesting sort of uh, the conversation's become more interesting and more challenging than I thought it would because you're at this interesting point in time. But I do appreciate you sharing it. All right, buddy, it's been an absolute pleasure, and uh, yeah, give me a follow, everyone on on social media it's at dan has a podcast because i changed all my socials to drive people to the only thing in my career that's going well i'm standing in the station like some old record waiting on a train so buy a pretty dress wear it out tonight for anyone you think could outdo me Oh, better still Be my winding wheel be my So, that concludes this week's episode. I'm really grateful to Dan for being so generous with his time because we spoke for almost two hours when we were recording. And he's made himself a very busy man with the Have A Word podcast and Show Me The Samples. So there'll be links to both of those in the show notes. If you haven't checked them out already, I implore you to do so because he is a very, very funny man. As always, we've kept the music discussed played below the conversation because I believe that all musicians should be paid for what they do. So if you want to listen to Dan's mixtape in full, you can find it on Apple Music or Spotify by clicking the link in the show notes. But for now, I'll see you next week for another episode of Mixtapes with Mike. Be my winding wheel 
Cause I feel just like a man Without a single place to go of interest And I'm further north and south If I